0: Welcome, everybody. Uh, Great to have everyone. Uh, I've been having my children um, attack me incessantly with the desire for a dog. And the reason that they ask me incessantly for a dog is because of all of you fine people who got dogs during COVID. I'm kidding. Uh, All the other people who also got dogs during COVID, um, which is so nice and wonderful. And I love dogs, just not in my house. Um, But I love dogs. Um, And I thought, I've actually been thinking about talking about pets for a number of years. Um, And never really got to it. Um, Someone asked me a long time ago to do it, actually. And I kudos to that individual. Um, And I said, you know what, now it's become, you know, a lot, a lot more, a lot more people have different types of pets. Uh, It's definitely worthwhile talking about some of the halakhos that uh, go along with the pet. We're gonna get to as many as we can. I won't get to every Shaila that you can imagine about pets. There are a lot of different questions that can come up. With regards to pets, but I figured let's give it a shot and talk about some of the most relevant ones, um, including the beginning, just to talk about the kind of what does the Torah think, what does the Chazal think about having uh, pets? What's the you know the Torah's perspective on pets? Just for a couple of minutes to get us started. So, oh, we have some of the pets on the screen now, which is wonderful. So, uh, okay, so the the Gemara actually and the Chazal actually seem at first uh, pretty fear, have pretty strong feelings about. Uh, owning some specific types of pets, and we'll see what they are. Says the Gemara, in source number one in Gemara Bava Kama says, "Tas Teshvamun Am the De Vinasan Omer Minayin Gadal Adam Kelev Rabbe Soch So, how do a person should not have a literally a bad dog. Is that a thing? You you not say that? You can't say that to dogs anymore in 2020, right? You can't say bad dog. A dog who does bad things, probably, right? But you're not allowed to, right? But how do you know that a, that a, a if you're going to laugh, you should turn on the, the, the microphone, you know, turn on, unmute yourself for the laugh. It would be, you know, it gives me chizik. Um, okay, so the, how do I know that your person shouldn't raise a bad dog in their house? sulam So you shouldn't have a, a ladder which could break in your house. Says the Pasuk, Tam alomar lo sosim dam You should not put, literally, blood in your house. Meaning, this is a halacha in general, that a person's not to have dangerous things in their house. Uh, why not? Because it can cause other people harm. And there's a special halacha, that's how we know that you're supposed to, you know, there's a special rule called makkah to put a, you know, a, a fence on your roof. But all these things, you're not supposed to have dangerous objects in your home. And actually, when we talked about uh, gun ownership, um, owning, own, you know, owning weapons, uh, so we talked about this halacha. Is, it, is that, a, you know, how does that, how does that apply in this case also? But the bottom line is, you're not supposed to have a, a, a bad dog, you're not supposed to have a, a dangerous ladder and other types of things that could cause people harm because this, pasuk, this, this uh, another gemar, you shouldn't have a dog in your house, you shouldn't be raising a dog unless it is on a leash, specifically on a chain, right? But on a leash. Right, why? Because it shouldn't cause other people harm. However, you have another Gemara in Babakama, right afterwards, which says, um, which tells us, Omer source number three, Kofrim A person that is allowed to raise the translation made over here is village dogs. You know, uh, little little doggies. You know, cats, monkeys. Why? Why is that? Um, in those days, they would, uh, they would, you know, clean the house. They don't mean from dirt. They mean they'd clean the house from, you know, you have a cat so it could catch, catch the mice. It served a very, uh, you know, very um, specific purpose. And therefore, a person was allowed to have these little dogs and little and little, little kind animals uh, because they, you know, they're, they're, they're helpful. And Rashi even writes, Rashi's Klavim Kofarim in source number four, right, Right, it can be small ones, maybe small little dogs, or big dogs that are used for hunting. But they, again, they're used, you know, they're like uh, bloodhounds that sniff things out, but again, they don't, they don't hurt anybody. So what, seem, what you seem to, to start to see already is that, yeah, the Gemara seems to say that a person shouldn't have a, a, a dangerous dog, but to have a little dog that isn't, uh, doesn't hurt anybody and you know, serves some type of utilitarian purpose, so that would be you know, less of a problem. If you look in the Rambam. The Rambam, in source number five, says you not, raise pigs. Or not a dog unless it's Talking about you know uh, dogs. If a person lives near a dangerous place and they want to keep a dog for protection, that would be okay. It's a, a curse as a person who who raises you know, dogs and pigs because they hurt people. They cause a lot of damage. They hurt people, they hurt property. And the, the, what's clear that the, the Rambam is saying is that the, the idea of having, a, having animals that cause damage to others, it's just a bad idea because you're going to cause a lot of, again, causing damage to other people. Um, if you look in the tour, the next source, the tour already is the precursor to the Shulchan Aruch, right? Rabbi uh, Yaakov, the son of the Rush, who becomes the first person to ever codify Halacha. And there was no such thing as a, a Shulchan Aruch, right? Until the tour, who kind of started by, you know, it's, the Ramam also codified Halacha, but the tour did so in a very, you know, systematic way. And the tour writes, right. He says, you're not allowed to have a Kalevra. And the Shulchan Aruch says the same thing. And when you, when you put it as Kalevra, what are you saying? If a Kalevra is not allowed, then what is allowed, presumably? Presumably. A cal that's I'm not ra. What? A good ra- dog. A good a dog. dog. Everybody's dog here is a good dog. No one has a bad dog, right? So a good dog would be okay, right? Presumably, what the Rambam, what, what the Tour and the Shulchanan are trying to tell us is that, you know, when, when the Gemara goes out of was way to say that you shouldn't have a kela ra, it means a, a dangerous dog. Uh, a dog that causes damage either to other people or damage to other people's property. That would be a problem because, again, your, your, your animal is now going to Again, caused damage to others. That was the whole fight between, uh, between um, Lot and Avraham, right? It was about their, their, uh, allowing their, their ox and their sheep to uh, graze in other people's areas. That wasn't right. And not supposed to do that. It caused damage to other people's property. So the Shulchan Aruch HaRav, who was the Shnir uh, Zalman of Lidlite, the founder of you know, Chabad, um, so he wrote also a Shulchan Aruch. People you know, know him more famously sometimes for his Hasidus, but he also wrote a Shulchan Aruch. And he writes, if you look down in the uh, talking this topic, the halachas of shmiras haguf and nefesh, right? The halachas of guarding your soul and, and being being careful. So he writes where it is um, bolded. So a, a dog that doesn't isn't bad, and it doesn't you know uh, bark at people, it doesn't it doesn't harass people, etc. That's that's totally permissible. You don't have to tie him up. So he says, some people say, as long as the dog, he says, people now, and this is already in the 1700s, people have the minog now that they have dogs, he says, and the dog, as long as um, the dog, um, first he says, a dog doesn't bark, that's no question, dog doesn't bark is not a problem at all, he says, but a dog, even that barks, but it, it, as long as it doesn't bite, so people say that that's okay. And he says, But some people have said no. That if a dog, because there's a big discussion in the Rishonim, what happens if you have a dog? And maybe it doesn't bite people, it doesn't hurt people. But it's very loud and it has a fierce bark and it harasses everybody who walks by. So the Gemara talks about people who got so scared from those dogs that all kinds of terrible things happened to them. Someone, the dog barked at a woman and she, uh, you know, she, she, uh, one of the examples the Gemara gives is someone had a miscarriage from such a thing. The point being that dogs who, that are really scary and fierce and they really scare people. So, he says, <laughs> they have a dog that's really glad and barks and attacks, you know, a very loud dog, so you should tie it up so that it doesn't, uh, you know, harass people. So, uh, so Rebbe Jachter, and a lot of what I'm going to tell you in this uh, Shear comes from Rebbe Jachter. who's is the rabbi in uh, the Sevardi Shul. So, he, uh, he is the... In Sharia Ra, he's like, he wrote the book. He wrote, well, actually, the article on this topic many years ago. Um, 20, 28 years ago, he wrote an article in the, in the uh, Journal of Alechal Contemporary Society on this topic. He covers a lot of these topics I so did a lot of research on it. And he writes as follows. He says, on the other hand, the Knesset HaGadola notes that common practice among Jews is not to accept the stringent view of Yom Shal Shalom and Shulchan al kharav He indicates the custom is to own dogs which bark as long as they do not bite. Meaning that we basically assume that... Um, that as long as the dog is not doesn't hurt people, then it's a uh, and do damage to other people's property, then it's permissible um, to to own a dog. Um, so he, but he writes here at the bottom, he says, you know, if you're choosing what kind of dog to get, better to choose a dog that doesn't bark at people and make them crazy. You know, that's, that's certainly uh, a better idea than a dog that's, you know, so fierce and, and scary, etc. It might be different, by the way, if someone's buying a dog specifically for protection, if a person has a concern you know they're nervous about robbers etc and if you specifically want a dog like that so maybe a little bit different um but what's definitely is clear is that owning like and i'm not trying to hurt anybody that may not know about pit bulls uh people owning pit bulls there are a lot of stories about pit bulls doing real dan- like killing people um and i think it would be a bigger shiloh for someone to want to own a pit bull or a dog like that that really is fierce um, and really really can cause physical damage to people, I think that would be a shy But But most of the dogs that we get that are little dogs and they're cute dogs and they're, and they're nice dogs and they don't hurt anybody, et cetera, uh, there should not be any issue. So when someone tells you it's not Jewish to own a dog, you know, Jews don't own dogs. You, know, you hear people say that. No, it's not really true. Meaning they mean it because you're not supposed to own a, a fierce dog, an angry dog. But uh, a dog that is, you know, uh, placid, etc. is really uh, no issue and, and, and certainly can enhance, uh, really enhance people's lives. Um, certainly people who are lonely, but even people who are not lonely. People have really connection to dogs and other, and other animals. And by the way, it's not just about dogs. It could be cats, it could be other animals. That, uh, you know, a person owning a dangerous animal is, your, is a real shadow. Okay, but let's talk about what you came here to hear more about, which is like some of the real halachos here about, about these animals. A person owns just, a dog, yeah.
1: Just one question with regards to that. I mean, yes. like, as far as responsibility goes, I mean, most yeah. dog owners, when somebody tells you that they're afraid of dogs, most dog owners think, oh, but not my dog because my dog wait. Right?
0: <laughs> well, some what do some don't. I don't know. What responsibility does the dog owner have to
1: keep it away? If they have, you know, somebody comes to the door, if they have a guest over to keep the dog from
2: scaring
0: It's a, or it's a good question. It's it sounds Christmas. like it's, it definitely sounds like Chazal were concerned that people shouldn't have dogs that are scaring people. I think that's, I think it's been on the forgetting like the specific question of, you know, pet ownership I think it's a, it's a, if you know that, that your animal is, is making someone uncomfortable making them upset. So it's probably, you know, it could be a, to be, to be, uh, sensitive to that and to people who are, are particularly sensitive. Certainly if someone's allergic or someone, you know, to be sensitive to the sensitivities that people have, I think that's, I think that's appropriate. It's absolutely appropriate. Um, I don't know specifically, you know, with regards to this din per se, but yeah, I think it's always appropriate for a person to be, uh, sensitive to that and probably, and I mean it seriously, that it should be v'yathlarecha uh, kamocha, and I mean it not as a nice, as a good midos, I mean as a halacha. Um, okay, so uh, we'll break this up into f- a few sections. One is going to be the issues relating to feeding pets. Um, and then we'll talk about um, the issue of, uh, you know, um, removal of organs, of you know reproductive organs, which are big shayla, and then we'll talk about some of the Shabbos questions. So in terms of Feeding pets. So, what about feeding pets first? That's one of the halachas that, that people know the most, probably. Right? That Right? If you're going to have something to eat, you're going to sit down for a meal, you have to make sure that first you feed your animal. Where does that come from? It's a Gemara. It's a Gemara and gemar Brachos. The Gemara and Brachos says, A person is forbidden from eating until they first feed their animal. How do I know? Because the way the pasuk, it's a pasuk in the Shema. Right, I, I will give, Hashem says, I'm going to give um, grass in your fields. You, mean if you listen to the mitzvot, right? what's the promise Hashem makes? I'll give grass in the fields to your animals. And then it says, And then you will eat and be satiated. So the bar learns from there. What do you see? That, how does Hashem relate to the animals? He says, first, I'm going to give grass and you know, feed for the animals. And then you'll be able to eat and have something to eat. But there's a big discussion in the, in the contemporary, you know, post-gim and the Rishonim even about whether or not this is a, what we call Midas Chasidis, It's a nice thing. It's, you know, it's, it's obviously nice and, and sensitive. Or is it a real halacha? Is this a dindar raisa? Is it dindar abanan? Is it like, what is this really? So the Rambam in Hilchos Avad in Perak Teshalachachas, he talks about how a person should treat um, servants who work for them. And so he says a person could work, you know, work a servant technically uh, pretty hard, but he says the right thing to do is Even the person is, again, this is are people who were technically slaves in the old days, right? That it's not the right thing. He says a person should really treat that person, you know, so with kindness and and, uh, and justice, and be kind to them, and not, make, not give them too much work. You should give them all kinds of food and drink, don't just give them something, you know, don't just check the box, but give them really nice. And he, then he writes, He says, the, the real, real, you know, from people, what do they do? If they have a, an Eved, they give them the same food they have. You have good food, you give your Eved good food. And then he writes, They would let their slaves eat first before them, and he says, they would give their animals to eat first before them. But what that sounds like, um, if, according to the Rambam, would you say the Rambam is telling you a halacha based on this context? Or would you say it's a nice thing? What would you say? Sounds like he's saying it's a nice thing, right? He's saying uh, the halacha is, you can do whatever, but the nice thing to do is, right? So that's what it sounds like. But if you look in the North, next source in the sheet, I'm actually going to put the source sheet back in the thing for anybody who joined a little bit late. I'm going to pop it in. So if you don't have the source sheet, you can grab it now. I just sent it to you. I sent it to everybody again. It's in the chat. If you didn't have the sheet, you can you can pull it up. But um, the Magadav Ram and Shokhanach, the Shokhanach talks about a very fascinating case. I was telling my kids about this tonight. The Shachanach discusses the following scenario. We always talk about this, right? What happens when you wash and then you come to the table and there's no salt on the table? Someone forgot to bring the knife. They forgot the second challah. Am I allowed to talk between washing and making hamotzi? And the case in the Shachanach is, is even what about between making hamotzi and eating the bread? And the Shachanach gives a whole list of things, says you're not allowed to speak, that's a half-sake. However, he argues, but if there are certain things that are what's called sarchei hasuda, they're necessary for the meal, like. Please pass the salt. Can someone get the knife? That you're allowed to say, because not considered a separate, it's not a that's not a you know, that's not a pause in the middle, that's part of the meal itself. So that's not considered a hepsake, that's okay to say. And one of the things he says you can say is, Did you feed the animals? Did you feed the animals? And the Magnavram says, Why is that? He says, Have either suda. In the behemdo. The of Ram says, you know why that's, part, that's a yisuda, it's part of the needs of the meal? Because it's forbidden for a person to eat until they feed their animal first. So he says, so, he, so the Magen of writes, that he thinks it's a halacha. This is not a nice idea. It's not a nice thing. It's a halacha. You sit down for dinner. You have to make sure first that the dog ate something, the cat had something to eat, the hamster got, the goldfish, whoever it is you're responsible to feed. So you make sure that their you know, needs are taken care of first, and then you sit down and have dinner. Um, but he points out so interestingly, but you'll have to drink before your animals drink. Why is that? Why you have to drink before the animals drink? Because when Rivka came to, when Eliezer shows up, right? Last week's Parsha, Eliezer shows up to, uh, to no, this week's Parsha. Uh, El- Eliezer shows up to, to find a wife for Yitzchak and he meets Rivka. And what does she say? he asked her for drink, for himself and for the animals, and she says, you can drink, and then I'll give you to the, to the, to the animals to drink. So the so, so, Magad Ram says, you see from there, that by drinking, you can have something to drink first, before you give it to your animals to drink. But again, you're seeing them for a meal, you should definitely have them drink, have them eat first. And this is, uh, the Bir also also, um, you know, say this isn't, the the Ram thinks is a Dindar this is the, the, the a Dindar this is a, a Torah-level Torah law. Others argue, the Chavitz Chaim and others, that's probably a Dindar abanun. Um, and therefore it's, it's definitely the right thing to do, um, to make sure to be careful that if we're sitting down to the table, that we make sure that the animals, again, it's, you, I don't, I don't have a dog, so I can't tell you how often animals eat, but that if your animals do for its meal and you want to eat something, you should really make sure the animal has something to eat first before you sit down to eat your meal. Okay. Any questions on that topic? Okay, good. Um, next, what can I feed my animal? What can I feed my animal? What does that mean? So uh, this is a very important halakha. This, you usually only get to talk about this around Pesach time, when everyone's looking for appropriate Pesach food for their animal. So we'll get to Pesach in a second.
2: I have a question. Yes, Jesse. Do, do, do they make a distinction between a domestic animal, a domesticated animal like a pet, and the, the cow in your barn? Uh,
0: that's a good question. Uh, in terms of this halakha, I don't believe so. I think it's the same. You're right, it's a good question. But presumably it's the same when it comes to this halacha. We'll see, we get to other, some other questions, maybe there is, but for this one, this one it's the same, as far as I know. Um, okay, so next, what about what I can feed my animals? So, um, so the very important distinction made between not regular non-kosher food and basar b'chalaf, right? Mixtures of eaten milk. And that is that, although a Jewish person is not allowed to eat non-kosher meat, you're allowed to benefit from non-kosher meat. So if uh, somehow, I don't know, you bought, a, you bought a piece of non-kosher meat by accident or something, so you could go ahead and you could sell it to somebody else to make a profit. Because non-kosher meat is not against, it's not against, it's against lecha, just against halacha to eat it. There's no isra how There's no isra to get a benefit from it. However, when it comes to Basra B'chalov, uh, meat and milk so the Torah says do not cook the meat the, the kid in his mother's milk three times so the Gemara learns th- for three things one to make an Isra Achila can't eat it another Isra Bishol you can't even cook meat and milk together even if you're not going to eat it and number three an Isra hano, you can't get benefit from meat and milk and, the, and Chazal assume that, that feeding your animal something is getting benefit because after all you are right you, want, you, you have to pay for the animal's you know the sustenance so, so, therefore, it's, uh, a person's not supposed to feed their animal, any animal, um, a combination of meat and milk. Um, and this is true, this is not pay something. this is all the time. You're not supposed to feed your animal meat and milk, because then at the end of the day, you're getting benefit from the mixture of meat and milk. And you have to be careful, because sometimes, uh, you know, animal, you know, uh, pet food can, can have mixtures of meat and milk in it. Um, it's actually an interesting conversation about when, when you know, what's considered a mixture of meat and milk is that only meat and milk that is actually shechted, right, does has have to be an animal that was, that was shechted, a kosher animal, that was not, not, not that it's just a cow, but it was a cow that shechted, you can't use that, can't meaning that there's no meat and milk, isser of meat and milk, unless, some believe, unless the animal was really kosher. You could have eaten that meat, and instead you mix it with milk. Some poskim, some rishonim believe that that's the isser of Abbas Rechel. If that's true, right, the only issue of meat and milk is if it's a shechted meat with milk, then all animal foods would be kosher. we would be fine, meaning to, to feed your dog, because the chances that a, a, uh, you know, a uh, pet food distributor is using shechted animals for their meat is uh, highly unlikely. Um, however, the, the typically accepted opinion is that it's not it's not only that, and that any meat, as long as it's cow meat and, and milk, or uh, sorry, kosher animal, that is technically kosher, even if it wasn't shechted right, and milk could be... Uh, would be So then a person there, there are all kinds of websites and places to find the, uh, you know, uh, pet food. That's not busted. It's actually something you can really, you really can't find it. Um, but it's certainly something to be, to be aware of. Sometimes yeah, has a we question. Have look, we have to look at like all the ingredients,
2: like, I don't know, like, like, it's a good, cheese, good question. Cheese, dog treats. That might be pepperoni flavored instead of have actual meat
0: in them or something. Yeah. Is this something you should pay attention to? Again, like I said, according to the opinions that hold that meat and milk is only if it was shekhted meat, then those things are fine, right? But the accepted opinion is to, is to, is to try to be careful for, for not to have meat and milk at all. Um, so it's a, it's a good thing to check out. You, uh, I can send you, the CRC has, a, has something online, the Star K, all these, these companies have lists of dog food, all kinds of dog stuff that, that's for sure not, not, not basu v'chalaf. And like mixing dog food with yogurt so they eat it that you can't do either,
2: I guess? Oh,
0: yes. You, uh, well, the truth is the truth is that's, not, that's probably not true because that's a great question. You know, I'm not sure, but I, I, would be, I would have a lot less of an issue with that. I'll tell you why. Because basu B'khalif is only an isser if the two items were cooked together. Uh, okay, okay, so the, your dog doesn't have to wait six hours. You know what I'm saying? So like th- none of that applies. It's just that you can't have a benefit of what's technically already called meat and milk together. So something that hasn't been cooked together isn't going to be it- isn't going to be a problem. It's specifically items that were prepared and cooked together, meat and milk together.
2: So like that pepperoni cheese dog treat could be a
0: problem. Might be, yeah, it might be, yeah, that might be something to, to to check out. Yes, correct. Um, again, again, it's uh, a.
2: Does that
0: exist? heard of such a thing. Does it exist? Oh, such a treat, you're saying? I guess I, guess they, I just haven't found it at Cedar Market. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be great. no so funny <laughs> to find out what they put at Cedar Market if they sell dog food. Um, but yeah, fine. So that's, that's in terms of regular food. But the other issue, which I think we're much more aware of, is Pesach. Um, that on Pesach time, you're not allowed to feed. You're, just like you're not allowed to eat chametz, you're not allowed to get benefit from chametz. You can't even own chametz, right? So the same applies not just the chametz that you eat, also the chametz that your food eats, your, your dog eats. So there's always, you know, a lot of uh, tumult. I usually spend most of my few days before Pesach dealing with pet food issues. Um, but I'll tell you the truth is, it's usually because we don't think about it ahead of time. Most people, if they think about it ahead of time, can usually find some type of alternative, uh, something that doesn't have, doesn't have chametz in it for, um, you know, d- during Pesach. Um, and in the real extreme scenarios, there are, ways, there are ways to get around it. You, you have, at every time when I go to do a... a uh, a a sale of chametz. So there are always people who are selling their dog and selling their chametz food to a non Jew, uh, and then and then they have a, They have a non Jew who feeds their dog for the. okay they set to a kennel. there the uh, the what's it called? I think it's I don't want to see which name. But there's a place here in tinek where uh, people take, take dogs for Pesach and they leave them there. It's like the Pesach hotel, and they uh, they feed their dogs, etc. But the, the, but usually there's a way to get around it. it. Usually the experience that I've had from people is that if they you know, take it, take a look at it ahead of time, you know, well in advance, oftentimes it works. I know there's some people on the screen who are going to look at me like, that's not true. You remember my story. I do remember your stories. Uh, for some people it becomes hard and, uh, there are ways, there are ways to get around it when there's extreme scenarios. And we can talk about those individual scenarios when they get hard, uh, and they do get hard sometimes. Um, but you know, there, there are things that we can do, uh, when it's necessary, but again, it's not just dogs. Again, this is all types of animals. This is fish your fish food and your hamsters and your all kinds of stuff, the more people pay attention to it ahead of time, usually there are, are ways to deal with not having to own chametz um, on Pesach. It just happens to come up that time. But one other thing that's really important is that a lot of amp, uh, dog foods have kitneos in them. And kitneos is not a problem to feed your dog on Pesach because kitneos, you know, beans and all kinds of stuff like that, those things are not a problem because you're allowed to own kitneos on Pesach and you're allowed to get benefit from kitneos on Pesach. You just can't eat it. And you don't eat the dog food, so you're not a problem. So if your dog food has kidneyos, that's not going to be a problem, but I'm sure we'll get more questions about that when it comes time for Pesach. Okay, this is the fun topic. This is the fun topic, okay? Uh, I remember as a kid, every time I would watch the, The Price is Right, anybody know, what would Bob Barker say at the end of The Price is Right, every single time, anybody remember? What would he say? Yes, have your, dogs, have your pets spayed and neutered. He would say at the end of every episode of The Price is Right. That's what he would say. Um, he would always say that. I was like, oh, okay, I'm not sure why. You, okay, that was like a thing for Bob Barker. He was very, uh, very into that. Anyways, so it's a big shayla for Jews, for Jewish people. Can you, can you spay and neuter your pets? How does that work? It's an important question. It comes up a lot. So, the Shulchan Aruch has something to say. Okay, and this is not true just of animals. This is true of human beings, lahavdu also says the Shulchan Aruch in Evan Ezra period of review the Lachas of Reproduction, says the Shulchan Aruch, la Hafsid Every hazera. it's forbidden for a person to purposely, on purpose, uh, cause himself to, uh, you know, to castrate themselves. Ba'adam, It comes to a human being, when it comes to an animal, it comes to a, a non domestic animal, or or fowl even. Echad Tamein Ve'echad Tehorim, whether they are kosher animals or non-kosher animals, Bein be'aretz Yisrael, bein be'chutzarim. If you're living in Eretz living in living in chutzlaritz, masaris loka minat torah b'chamakam. And doing so, castrating an animal is an ised dereisa, Torah prohibition. V'chol masaris it's an akiva. But what about making a making a uh a female animal uh, uh unable again unable to reproduce? Bein ba'adim bein m'sharim, minim puter aval usher. So it's a it's a lower level. You're puter from from. From a uh, punishment, but it's still forbidden. So there's definitely a distinction made between um, men and women, and male animals and female animals in terms of this halacha. What's interesting, if you look at the next halacha, and this is going to become important. If a person, let's say they they would give uh, an animal or give a person something, a medicine, or something, a drug that would make them infertile. So that is much le- much le- it's still forbidden, but it's a much lower level iser. It's maybe it's as It's 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 you know it's 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 uh, not direct, um, and um, and then it goes even further. A woman can even do that to herself at times. But the point is that the, there's a difference, a big distinction made in the halacha between physical castration and doing something with drugs that would cause. Uh, the animal to become infertile. Fine. So if that's true, that means that a that a, that a Jew certainly uh, to this is not an issue for most of us unless we're veterinarians, which is a different child of course. Once we be a veterinarian, it's like an interesting question to deal with this question. But a um, you know most of us are not doing that ourselves, right? We're not gonna. No one's gonna spare new to their own animal. So that so it would be forbidden in this derisa to do so yourself. Um, what about though? if a non-Jew does it, is a non-Jew allowed to do that? Is, it, is there any issue for a non-Jew to spay or neuter animals? If you look at Gemara in the Sechah Sanhedrin, Gemara talks about the halachas that apply not only to Jews, but applied to B'nai Noah. And you might ask, so what do we care if a applies to a non-Jew? They're not, they're not asking us. Right? So what do we have to tell them what to do? It becomes important for if I'm going to ask them. Because right? if they're not allowed to do something and I ask them to do it, so then, it, then it, right? it's like a lift naivir, right? I'm, I'm putting a stumbling block in front of a non-Jew. I can't, just like I can't provide a non-Jew with an idol to worship right? Um, because they're not allowed to serve idols either, so, etc. So the question is, is, is that same halakha apply to them? So the Gemara says like this, Tan Rabbanum, Shevet mitzvos nitztavu b'nei The b'nei noach were commanded on seven mitzvos, as we know. How do you remember what they are? Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalid, and the big three. Okay, watch. Says the Gemara, Dinin, right, they have to set up courts, Birchas Hashem, they're not allowed to curse Hashem, that's a nice way of saying bless God, it means they're not allowed to curse God. Avodah uh, Zara, they can't worship idols. Gilai Rios, they can't be involved in inappropriate physical relationships. Shevi Chosam, they can't murder. Gezel, they're not allowed to steal. Ve'efer Minachai, they're not allowed to take a, a limb from a live animal. Rabbi Hanan and Gamil Omer, Af al Dam Minachai. Some, Rabbi Hanan and Gamil Omer says not only that, but they can't also can't take blood from a an live animal. And Rabbi Chitka Omer, Af al Asirus. Rabbi Chitka says that a non Jew is also not allowed to castrate uh, themselves or animals. So take a look at how, so, so what are we going to do here? Because this is a, a problem for us, right? So how are we going to deal with this? So a rejector in his article, breaks down this issue in a very interesting way. And he writes as follows, Beit Shmuel rules, Beit Shmuel is one of the Achronim that, that this controversy has not been resolved, and when rendering halachic decisions or rabbinic decisions must much considered the position that non-Jews are forbidden to remove reproductive organs, meaning, is a non-Jew forbidden or not forbidden? On the, one, on the other hand, our Arach rules, in accordance with the, what he perceives, the majority opinion, that non-Jews are not commanded, concerning this position, prohibition. Again, it's very important if a non-Jew is, 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 uh, is prohibited from this as well or it's just something we can't do. What's the difference? The difference is going to be if I want to ask someone who's not Jewish, right? If I want to ask someone who's not Jewish to do it for me, I want to go to a vet who's going to do it on my behalf. So um, if you assume that they are uh, permitted to do so, that they're forbidden to do so, then so that's a real problem because it was called a here. I can't ask a non-Jew to do something that's forbidden for them, even if they don't care. Just like I can't ask a Jew non- a Jew who doesn't care about the halacha, right? To ask them to do things that are forbidden, I can't do that. So same thing by a non-Jew, if it's a halacha for them. However, if it's not forbidden for them, and I ask them to do so, so it still might be a problem of, again, like, like a mir like I can't ask a non-Jew to do malacha for me on Shabbos, so I probably can't ask a non-Jew to, to do something that for me is otherwise Usr. but it's a much lower level isser, if that's, if that's the case. So, but keep going to the next paragraph. For Rabbi Jack writes, nevertheless, there are a number of possible solutions to this problem. Some of the most prominent halakhic authorities of the 13th, 19th century record a common practice among observant Jews who owned animals for commercial purposes. This involves selling an animal to a non Jew and instructing this non Jew to ask another non Jew to spay the animal. Meaning, it would, basically, what it would mean is that if a person was going to have their animal neutered, they would have to first sell the animal to the non Jew and then have them go, meaning he's saying, and then have them tell somebody else. It could be done, that's pretty easy, easy in, a, in an office where you're going to you know, sell it to somebody and then have them, you know, uh, you could sell it to somebody you know, whatever. It's just like the rabbi does mechiras chametz. The rabbi can do mechiras, your animal. There are actually a number of way, areas where this comes up. Other, other halachas also where you have to sometimes do that type of sale. Just like you do, you sell chametz, you would sell the animal. You do a sale of the animal and then, um, and then have, again, the non-Jew, tell another non-Jew to go ahead and take care of it. Um, that, again, it, it helps. It makes it less because, again, it's not technically your animal. Is it great? It's not the greatest, but it's certainly one way to uh, to deal with the problem. There's another creative answer that was given by somebody else. Look at the next paragraph he writes, a different solution to this problem has been offered by Rabbi I.Y. I Underman, who is the author of Runtaman the author of Poskin." And he describes a procedure of neutering, which he believes constitutes only rabbinic prohibition, since it does not involve direct removal of reproductive organs. Instead, the blood supply is eliminated and the testicles begin to shrivel and this animal is rendered sterile. Rabbi Antriman asserts that one who performs this procedure violates the prohibition indirectly, which is permitted on a Torah level and forbidden by the rabbis. However, if the person is not Jewish, they don't have to follow the rabbis, right? So the authorities who rule that non-Jews are forbidden to neuter animals concede that non-Jews are forbidden only to perform biblically forbidden acts of neutering. Non-Jews are not required to follow rabbinic legislation, since unlike Jews, they are not obligated to adhere to rabbinic rulings. According to this approach, one does not violate the prohibition of enabling another to sin if one instructs the analogy to perform this procedure. So there are, you know, some places where you can get, have this done. I did a little, a little research. No, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a veterinarian. So typically they, there's they you know, they recommend um, a full castration. I think it's, it has more of the impact that they're trying to uh, achieve. It's not just an issue of reproduction. It's an issue of also hormones, etc. But as, as, you know, they uh, become better at these types of procedures and doing things without needing to actually remove the organs, it certainly becomes, uh, becomes, that's certainly more ideal. In some scenarios, is not possible. So what people typically do with those situations is they, you know, talk later of and they, and they do a sale of the animal and, uh, and do it that way if that's something to do. And other people, if, they, you know, if they're trying to buy an animal, will oftentimes make sure that the spaying or neutering has been done beforehand before they get, get the animal. It helps if, you, if you're if you into uh, getting rescues, I guess, right? That it's even better, right? That oh, makes it-
2: So wait, so two questions. Yeah. So, what about like right? Does ah. that apply to animals? Because if you're rescuing a dog, yes. they actually require you to have it spayed or neutered in order to take it. And if you don't take it, it may not live because they might put it down. Can
0: they do it before you make the purchase?
2: Um, sometimes it's part of the agreement. Sometimes they'll do it there before you take it. Uh-huh. Or sometimes it's just part of the agreement.
0: That's an interesting question. I wonder. I'm not sure, but I wonder if it, if if it makes a difference if it's done prior to the sale if that helps because they have already, you know, they've they've already, you know, done it. But yeah, there could be could be ways to do it. You're saying you're saying you're saving the animal's life by getting it castrated.
2: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there so might be ways. The again, there might be a way. to... Get-
1: Yeah. One of the other very big reasons that they, that they do it with males is that there's a huge testicular cancer um, like possibility, and that's why a lot of people wind up doing it. I know that was our decision, too. So I, maybe two-clock necrosis has to do with that also.
0: Or maybe it's it's sometimes what is definitely taken into account at times, uh, certainly it's talked about a lot in the game. is what if an animal is suffering? You know, certainly an animal is in pain. Um, and by doing this, you're gonna, you're going to, you know, alleviate pain and things like that, or endanger, like you said, sick, et cetera, that would help. It's a good question if it was like preventative medicine, if that helps. Um, it's a good question. But again, either way, these, um, again, this is something that people don't really know, um, that's for sure. Um, hierarchy. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely the right thing to do is that if you're gonna, if your person's gonna do this to set up you know, ahead of time, you know, this, this type of, uh, sale. So that you could, or, or have it done before, if possible. Or again, if they have this type of, you know, if they do it with these, you know, medications, it's obviously the, be- the best. But I don't, th- I don't think they're doing them so, uh, I don't think it's so common.
2: The other issue is many of us have a Jewish veterinarian.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but that Jewish veterinarian probably has non-Jewish employees.
2: Right, but so are we supposed to find out who's doing the
0: surge? I don't... That's, that's, an, that's another interesting question. That's interesting. And the,
2: and the vet owns
0: the
2: practice, so mm-hmm.
0: benefits mm-hmm. from the castration. Right, interesting, the fascinating. Well, I don't know if there would be, that's interesting, That's fascinating, Shaila, because I don't know specifically that case, but there, there are probably ways around it, there are probably ways around it. Um, well, a lot of us are in that situation with that as talking about. <laughs> we're talking about <laughs> okay, okay, I think there are ways to deal with it, I think there are ways to deal with it. I'm not, I'm not concerned, I think there are ways to deal with it. Um, it, it, it I think there are ways to deal with it. If, it, if it's something that you have to deal with specifically, I, talk to me about it and we'll, we can work it out. We can have to work it out. The goal of this year was not to, to paralyze you. The goal of this year is to arm you with information so that we can ask Shilohs and we can do, do the right thing, which, we, which we'll be able to do. Um, yeah, like, I, I feel that we, we, didn't, uh, we didn't fix snacks because
1: Johnny said, logically you can't. And so I can't, can't like, really play with, with
0: some dogs. Like, we're very, very cautious. You can't? Wait, say again. I didn't hear what you said. Can't like play with some little dogs because there'd be little Maxes around. Them. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> or if you would play with other dogs, you'd have that problem of more dogs. Right. Yes. No. That look. That's the reason why people do this. I understand. I understand why the 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 rationale. It makes a lot of sense. I'm saying, you know, a lot of people do it. I'm just saying when we have to to no. to do so, there's a there's a mechanism to do it, and it's just to people to, to, to know about. It. I think most people don't know about it. So I think it's so good. You can
1: tell Johnny that it, that it is permissible? It just can't be done by by
0: a Jew. Has to be done in the right way. It has to be there's there's got to be a way to you know it's got to be done. It also can't be it also can't be um, directed by you. You can't ask the non jew directly. As I'm saying, it's got to be something that you don't own the don't own the dog for that time. So it's, you should do that type of sale so that the dog is tactically not yours when it's taking place. If you do that, then already you're in a better place. Um, yeah.
1: I know this is about specifically pets, but yes. do these polls apply to humans as well, or is this This halacha way?
0: does apply to humans. A, these halachas do apply to humans. But
1: then these, these ways around it, does that, I mean, is that...
0: Well, usually usually this scenario, it's, it's a big shell when it comes to humans, and it's made a whole different shear. But yes, it's a big shell when it comes to humans, people who deciding to get a vasectomy or things like that. Um, oftentimes these questions are you know, um, medical issues, but th- you're right. There are, there are, you know, there are definitely, you know, people who do this by choice and that's a big shila. It's a big shila. It's, it's not, it's not simple at all to just decide on your own, um, to make oneself sterile. It's a big la Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay. Let's talk Shabbos a little bit. How much time do we have? Oh, we have a few more minutes. So let's just talk Shabbos for a couple of more, for a couple of minutes. Um, okay. One of the big interesting questions and you're going to go, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is an issue. But we're going to, th- I'll tell you how to deal with it. Uh, is, the, is the question of muksa? Is an animal muksa? How would an animal be muqsa? So the Gemara says that animals are muqsa. Look in the, the Gemara and Shabbos. You know, I'm not going to read through the whole Gemara right now, but the bottom line is, the Gemara is clear. It talks about an animal that, that, that falls, and you have to get the animal out, etc. And the Gemara makes it clear that it thinks that animals are muksa. And, um, again, and this is where, where, uh, to Jesse's point before, you know, very often we're talking about animals that are, that are, uh, you know, your, your ox and your sheep and your, your cattle, which are used for your Parnassa, right? And, and not only are they muksa, but they are, you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to have them do any work on Shabbos, right? Your animal has to rest on Shabbos. So since your animal has serves no purpose on Shabbos, cause you have to make it rest. So it's, it's, it's muksa because it has no, no function. So animals like that was not a. Sh- it's pretty obvious why they should be moksa because anything that has no function, a rock, a stick, etc., has no 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 permissible function. I can't use my my. Uh, I can't ride my horse. I can't make my ox carry something. I can't have it plow, etc. I can't shear my sheep. So none of those things are. I can't milk any of the animals, etc. So that they become moksa because they have no function. So the question that's that's discussed in the Rishonim is yeah, but what about animals whose purpose is not, um, you know, economic. They're not there to make money. They're not there for any of those reasons. They're there to play with, right? Does that make a difference? So Tosos writes in the next source, um, uh, so Rav Yosef quoted in Tosos says that why is a a, a a chick a little chick is not muksa? Why not? Because a little chick is play a little baby wants to play with the chicken and it makes them uh, you know makes them stop crying. Makes them stop crying. It has a purpose, basically says Tosas. And that's why they're not Muksa. However, toses, the, the, the Bali Tosas themselves write, they say it's actually not true. And they later on, and they say, no, animals are all muksa. Why is that, maybe? Because once most animals are muksa, so all animals should be muksa. So it's a big uh, conversation in the Rishonim. The, the Orzarua one time sent a letter. Marach Orzerua lived in the 12th century. He sent a letter to, to the Rush, Rabbeinu Asher. Rabbeinu Asher, one of the biggest Rishonim in those day, in the biggest time he had come in that time, and uh, asked him, are animals muksa?" And he basically he said, he says, I don't think they should be. Uh, why? He said, because they're meant to be pets. They're meant to be played with by children and by, by adults. They have a function. So how can you argue that they're muksa?" And the rush wrote back, absolutely not, he said. I think they're all muksa." he said. And so it be, remains uh, a machlokus. And they were shown him this question, are, are, animals, are, are animals that are made to be pets, are they considered muksa or not? And it actually became a fascinating, uh, a really interesting, this would be a good topic for Rabbi Shevkin maybe at some point, but an interesting controversy about a chuva of Moshe Feinstein. If you look later on down on the page, I have two like, little photocopies there. One is from a sefer called Sefer Tartule Shabbos, which in English is called the Halachos of Muxa, And one is a actual tshuva in, in Igros Moshe, Remosha Moshe Feinstein. And the first, and this is the same child. that was asked of Moshe. So the Rabbi Bodner who wrote the sefer, the, the Halachos of Muxa. He wrote a lot of English svarim every banner. So in the back of the book, he has these two, these questions he asks her of Moshe. So he writes as follows: little birds that they, they make noise and children play with them. The lafi etc. Rav Yosef was was matier and Tosu didn't like it. And Rev. Moshe answers: Ko birds that they they make noise if Moshe go oh, back? No, all animals are moksha, even the ones that, that children play with. Now look below. It's the same question. It's the same exact language. And the chuvah is different. The answer is, <speaking in Hebrew> And the little letters in English in Hebrew says, pets. So this chuvah of Moshe, which is from the last chilek of Yerosh Moshe, which is a big controversy about this this section of Yerosh Moshe, where it basically looks at like made an edit. And they basically said, that Rav Moshe said that all animals are muxa unless they're pets. And there's a big explosion. Rav David Lichtenstein on, uh, in his Headlines podcast had a Rabbi Jachter actually on to talk about this topic. And had a big back and forth about this juver of Moshe. Is it is it forged? Is it... Uh, the motion never said it. Why was it added later, etc. But the bottom line, what you're seeing is that there's this, there's this big back and forth because on the one hand, you understand why, for economic reasons, animals that are used that way should be considered muxa, but an animal that's really used to be, just to play with, you'd really think might be, uh, you know, really argues not What why, why, why does it matter if it's muksa? The real shadow would be, can I pick it up? Right, can I pick up an animal? On Shabbos, you know, if it's, a, if it's a big, heavy dog, you don't pick it up anyways. But an animal that's a dog that's little, can I pick it up? So look where what Rabbi Jackter writes. So he writes, the question arises though, whether circumstances have changed since the time of the Rishonim. These authorities discuss animals which can possibly be used to amuse children, but not animals, whose entire purpose is to entertain and provide companionship to their owners. Rishlomo Zaman Orbach, in fact, raises the possibility of making this distinction, yet he rules that pets are muks. So also, he said, it doesn't really make sense. I really could argue that they, they're just used for, for enjoyment, et cetera. Again, a reason to be make and in the end that he, he was machmir. So Rav Moshe in Halachos of Muqsa also rejects the possibility of making such a distinction. You notice Rabbi Jackter does not include there of Moshe and another chuvah seems to say it's mutter. Why? Because Rabbi Jackter holds strong that he thinks that that chuvah of Moshe was like doctored, which is wild to even think of such a thing, right? Um, but he ends as follows. He says, Shmuel David concludes his discussion of this issue with a citation of the opinion of Rabbi Aron Lichtenstein. Rabbi Aron Lichtenstein wrote as follows. It's proper to conduct himself in accordance with the stringent opinion in this matter, since it appears to be the opinion of Tosus the Mordechai, Hagos, Shri, and the Rush. Yet one need not admonish those who practice in accordance with the lenient opinion in this matter, since this issue is embroiled in the dispute amongst the Rishonim, and the logic of those who ruled leniently is compelling. So Rav Aron basically argued. Look, he said, if a person doesn't need to pick up an animal, so okay, better to better to follow the more your opinion that they're that they're moksha. He said, but the, the argument that 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 they aren't moksha because they're used as, because they use as pets is a compelling argument also. Said Rav Aron. and that's why he said if people you know want to do that, he said he wasn't gonna, gonna gonna argue on such an approach. And therefore he said again, there's basically two schools of thought: one that that they remain that all pets remain, remain muksa, and the others who argue that no, because they're used for. Uh, because they're used as as you know, really just for enjoyment. They have a purpose, and they're uh, and they're not muksa. Um, even even when it comes to what's interesting, even those who are machmir about uh, muksa picking up, they're making when it comes to petting, to petting dogs and cats and everything. And uh, the bir al has a has a, has a whole conversation. But basically, there's a gemara that says you can wipe your hand on the tail of a of a of a, of a horse. He says, how could it be? He says, if you're arguing that it's muqsa, how can wipe my hands on the tail? So he said, it must be that even, if, even those who hold that animals are muqsa, they agree that, uh, that, uh, that their fur and their hair is not muqsa, and petting an animal he was not concerned with. Um, so again, that's why you may have heard someone ever say, oh, an animal is muqsa, that's what it's coming from. But again, those who are mekel and uh, assume that they're not muqsa, is relying on this, on this argument of Ravon Um we are, We're over time, so I don't want to, uh, there's a lot, a lot more to talk about, but we're going to, we'll, we'll, uh, I'll stop here. If anyone has any other questions, though, I'll stay on for a couple minutes if you want to answer any uh, questions people have. It's a, it's a lot of information. I, and I know a lot of information probably that you never heard before. Um, and that's exactly why I gave this year because I feel like a lot of times there are things that we don't always think about um, that, are, that are helpful to, to know about. Um, and it just helps us navigate better and knowing, knowing what child is to ask and knowing uh, you know, how to navigate is always uh, helpful. And again, just because we didn't know something, that's okay. But then we start to learn about it. It's always uh, you know, a step forward. Um, But let me, anyone have any questions? What about the vote that send home the baby chicks that's on for Shabbos? Oh, you mean like, oh, oh, you're saying to like take care. Like if you have the the hamster in the class and you take the hamster home for Shabbos? You don't own it and you're doing it
2: really to take care of it over Shabbos. So it's not in the building alone. Right. It's not really pleasure. It's really...
0: Taking care of. well, they, they, that, I'm saying that way, they do that so that the kids, I, I don't know if they still do that today, but when they used to do that, yeah, they still yeah, do, they, it. They, they well, still do not, it? Not right now. Right, COVID. COVID. They still do it. No, it's because they make sure someone's going to feed it, and someone's going to take care of it, and whatever, yeah, 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 absolutely. Look, I think a lot of kids do. They pick up their hamsters on Shabbos. Okay, so that's, you're going rely on Ravon Liston's That's, you're going to, you're going to make that argument, I think, and I think, you know, it's what to say. Yeah, Yoni. And what did you say about
1: the hair? Oops, sorry. Uh, oh, yeah, Michelle, go
0: ahead Sorry. Danioni, Michelle Danioni.
1: (laughs) I was surprised at what you just said about the hair. So they say that you can't pick up a dog, but you're allowed to pet a dog. Yes. For the same reason that you can't brush hair with your own hair on Sabbaths, can you, wouldn't, I would just think that it would be the same reason that you can't pet a dog. But if
0: you pet a dog, you're not going to pull, you pull the fur out, the dog's shedding by itself anyway, right? It depends on the type of dog, Right.
1: But yeah, I mean, that, I know with Rocky, I mean, I'm sitting next to him and petting him now and his hair's coming out. So but that's, is that because
0: you're petting him though? You're not pulling his hair out. His hair is like, I don't know. I don't know enough about how he It's combined. His hair would
1: fall out otherwise anyway,
0: like as it sheds. But when you pet him, yes, more hair does come out as well. Interesting. I, that's interesting. I never heard that. Like you shouldn't pet a dog because you're going to be pulling the hairs out. I mean, if you were really... Because even with like humans, you're allowed to touch your hair. You're just not you're allowed to you know pull out or or brush it if you have a knot in your hand, you pull it, you know you brush with a brush it's going to really pull hair out so that's that's more of a shilo so i think if you're just petting the dog and it sheds i don't i don't think you're not pulling the hair out you know what i mean it's okay, probably okay it's more okay. of an issue of
1: carrying a dog that's
0: like more of the it's more of an issue of li- yeah li- literally picking the dog up and carrying it around that's you know those who are my, who have that approach yeah would say that correct but but even that, even they would agree you could nudge the dog you can nudge the dog you can, the dog, you can push the dog you know like that's you know, if the dog gets in your way and you want to get out, like you know, that's what calls tiltle bin You're just kind of like knocking it aside or pushing it aside. That that wouldn't be, we're talking more about picking it up. Okay. Thank you.
2: Yeah. Yoni. So, uh, it, it, is taking the dog on a leash, does that count as carrying it from Muxan? If not, uh, what about taking it outside the air?
0: Oh uh, yeah. So um, putting the dog on a leash, that's not going to be an issue of, of, you, you mean the dog, you mean you, you have to like hold the dog in order to put it on the leash? No, I mean, you, you
2: know, you hook on the leash and then the dog is going. Yeah. It, not, it's probably off its own volition, but you're also pulling it. And,
0: and yeah, I don't think that, that, that's less of an issue. That's less of an issue. Yeah, I, It's more the picking up, you know, or moving it, you know, but if you just have to, you have to take them outside. So I think that's, that's okay. Yeah, there's a big, it's a big, it's a whole conversation about, uh, about taking the dog on a walk outside an area with a leash. You know, had the way you have to hold the leash taut. You can't be like you can't be like hanging. There's a there's a lot of conversation about that. I would recommend if you're gonna walk a dog on Shabbos, you should walk the dog, uh, you know, in the Aruv. To so avoid no, that problem. On,
2: on the leash it could be a problem for the Aruv, but not for Muxa.
0: Yeah, it's an it's an of issue. It's an issue of carrying more. If you have an Aruv, then then the leash is not not really a problem. What if your dog runs away and it's
2: outside the Aruv?
0: Can you bring, bring it back? <laughs> you could. You could. Dog runs away. Uh, I'm not totally sure how you'd hit. Way, there are ways to handle it. Um, but uh, you, don't have, you don't have a problem. Your area roof here is, is very vast. So you don't have to worry about it. You're, you live very far from the, 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 the air roof. The, you know, the, so you'll, you'll be fine. But yeah, how, how would you deal with that? It's a good question. You'd have to go find the dog. You, there are ways to walk a dog even outside the air roof. There are ways to do it. But uh, I would recommend just sticking in the air roof. It's an easier, uh, easier a better move.
1: I think it holds
0: on the pikach nefesh also. If your dog runs away and you find it, and you're outside of the air, I don't think you're in like second guess whether you're in the dog or not. Well, it's dangerous. Right. Well, if the danger, if the dog's going get, oh, oh, this is for sure. This is for sure. If the dog is in danger, we 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 would call it more tsar balei chayim, more than we call it pikach nefesh probably. But tsar balei you're we are concerned for the pain and suffering of a dog. So if you're if the dog is in pain, um, a dog is sick, you know, and you need to be able to pick it up to. Uh, to uh, give it medicine or something like that, that might be a reason to be to lenient also. Um, or if a dog, like you said, he's gonna run in the street or something, um, and you have to pick up the dog to get it not to do that, that, that presumably would be permissible also. Yes, if the dog is gonna be in danger that way. That would be a reason to be uh, more lenient on that question of Muksa because Muksa is a dindiravannan uh, and uh, tsar balei chayim is deraisa. Good point, Michelle. great cheer, thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. Any thank other you, questions? Thank you. We're good? Okay, thanks everybody. Have a wonderful night.
1: Thank you. Night.